person. Our next speaker is um, uh, the man I, I think of as the, one of the most eloquent economists I've run into, William Testa from the Federal Reserve. Um, the man to go to for writing and the man to go to for thought on economics. And I would like him to expand on his chapter if he would. Thank you. I'll try to live up to that. Uh, it's not without some reverence and respect that one analyzes and writes about Chicago uh, because Chicago is one of the most studied cities for many reasons, but uh, it also, um, because the rich urban uh, academic tradition right here at the University of Chicago to have a place like this that used Chicago as its laboratory to understand cities, people such as Homer Hoyt and Richard Muth and Ed Glazier and the current uh, generation such as Saskia and Terry Clark and others, it, it really does continue. Nonetheless, I approach this topic uh, with a mind to help Chicago understand itself, its prospects, its challenges, and its opportunities in a global world. And what I mean by a global world may not be the same as the others who have written about it in our book, and I mean more than just the crossing of international boundaries of trade and investment, but it's really uh, globalization is a heightened ability to transport goods and services, to travel, personal transportation for people to talk and work abroad, communication, digitization of, of that, and more rapid technological change is all what uh, someone once called the global village. That's what I mean by globalization. And I think it's important to understand Chicago in that context. Um, and there are many change quotes that I could have chosen from the Darwinian panoply of quotes on change, but I chose one by Walt Disney who said that change is inevitable and growth is optional. He used to say it is his uh, board meetings and so forth. And I chose that because uh, out here on the Midway used to be the Chicago World's Fair, the Columbian Exposition, and coincidentally uh, Walt Disney's father was a carpenter in building that exposition, which was a great white city, a vision of what uh, the urban living, the urban city of the future could be. And so uh, I chose choose that as really what we're about here, at least why I wrote this chapter about the economic linkages. So let me start with a little bit more history. And uh, I think many of you may know that it was natural resources that built Chicago, uh, lumber, minerals, uh, the coal of Chuck's family, and agriculture in the region when this region was settled. Chicago made, became the center of financing those industries, of bringing them to market, grading them, and transporting them out again to the rest of the nation and the world. This was facilitated by another natural resource, the waterways. But then Chicago hopped on a new technology in 1848, which were the railroads, starting with the Galena Railroad uh, going west to that area to bring grain to market. And this was an infrastructure that served as its legacy in many regards for many years into the 20th century and helped build Chicago into a great city. It had competing cities such as St. Louis, for example, the great gateway city to the west, but uh, St. Louis naturally put its prospects, its uh, chances on the river system and it uh, didn't go after grain elevators and the railroad became the dominant technology for transporting goods before roadways, uh, it became the dominant over water and uh, other means of transportation. 
So you can see the next part of the evolution to this with this railway transportation is gathering natural resources and sending them out also became very amenable for the next age, which was the age of mass production, manufacturing, the age of very heavy, large raw materials to make steel and other products and what have you. The same railway system could transport these heavy products in and send them out again once they were processed. And you needed a successful city that could employ hordes of workers because it was very labor intensive to manufacture both in those days. And you need an agricultural hinterland to feed those people. Chicago became the center of that once again because of its transportation system as well as some innovations such as the refrigerated uh, freight car to send chilled beef which it was processed uh, to eastern markets and so forth and Cyrus McCormick's reaping machine and so forth. That railway system served it, it very well during that era. But, you know, what built Chicago then, the transporting of all this raw materials, led to what I think of, and neatly chopping things up historically, although it wasn't so neat in actuality, is it, uh, it was the seeds of its own destruction because, as you observe, agriculture and manufacturing went the way of the buffalo. Agriculture, only 2% of the U.S. workforce today is needed to grow that production in the hinterland. We're just as productive as we were before, but people aren't needed for that. Uh, uh, not as much income and jobs is generated. And the world over, man manufacturing has gone the same route. Only 11% of the U.S. workforce is in manufacturing. And that's not, a, that's not a, an anomaly throughout the world, even in China, manufacturing workforce is shrinking uh, because of technology and new means of production and so forth. So what's a city to do? Uh, Eight million people here in this area, higher standard of living than the rest of the country. Markets are moving south and west where it's warmer. Air conditioning is built in the south. High tech goes to the west. What you gonna do? Well, the seeds of Chicago's, one of its reinventions were really here uh, from uh, industries such as finance and services, which were, did, of course, grow up alongside of manufacturing and agriculture. Uh, some of these, I think you know, as global industries, very prominent here in Chicago is the derivatives and risk management industry. Again, uh, going back to some of your professors, uh, this was an early industry here in having futures markets to manage risk for farmers and those who bought flour and grains, the producers of manufactured food products. But along came the 1970s and professors uh, here helped the Merck reinvent itself with foreign exchange futures markets, and uh, T-bond futures, the Chicago Board of Trade. These became mature service industries that sold and broadened its market behind, beyond what was a shrinking Midwest market. And so Chicago's need to globalize, to reach further than its original industries and its original markets and trading and so forth uh, went on with some very successful industries. As Saskia has written about extensively, a lot of these services were also in what we call business service industries. In my chapter, I document that uh, uh, business services such as accounting and management and advertising and so forth, uh, while manufacturing was declining, those jobs passed the number of jobs by in 1990 in Chicago. It's passed by finance, accounting, these wonderful business services, many of them higher paying, but hiring people across the range. The seeds of it were early in the 20th century. Uh, 
management consulting, one of the world's most important and high skill level industries, uh, had its seeds with University of Chicago professor again, Northwestern professors, gave rise to names such as A.T. Kearney and Booz Allen Hamilton, Arthur Anderson, um, uh, Accenture and so forth. They all had their roots here. Uh, became global businesses when the mass wave of investment following World War II came along. These industries went global to Europe to help manage companies. Even the education business itself, there are 480,000 students, people in school in Chicago, and uh, 26,000 of them are international students. As Professor Randall, or Dr. Randall said this afternoon, it's a $2 billion uh, little corporation that you have going here at the University of Chicago. Other industries as well, going back to the railroad, uh, the infrastructure was key. We're all, there's a new industry that's come along in the last 15, 20 years, and you may notice it when you're along the interstate driving, uh, the trucks that have these metal boxes, uh, intermodal transportation, brought down the cost of moving goods and freight tremendously over the past 20, 30 years because you standardize the container can be offloaded from ship to rail to truck effortlessly. This can all be planned with logistics system, where it is, where it's going. The costs are down many fold. Uh, that industry also has been brought to Chicago by the railroad legacy. 50% of the railroad freight traffic goes through Chicago, and Chicago, believe it or not, is the third largest intermodal point in the world in terms of the lifts of those metal boxes. Uh, behind Hong Kong and Singapore, which are really deep water ports floating onto great big uh, freight containers, if you will. So again, we have this legacy to work with. Uh, but, you know, these aren't all old industries either. The same railroad light right-of-ways become very important for transmitting the digitized information. Uh, the lines for telecommunication need right-of-ways, and those old railroad right-of-ways that aren't being used for freight traffic are used to make Chicago the world's leader in transmission of terabytes of information on the internet system and so forth. So uh, one infrastructure legacy gives rise with some invention and some entrepreneurship to a new set of industries. O'Hare has been just a, it really has been the godsend to Chicago for uh, the business service industries of the future, this world's busiest airports. Uh, you can see the complementarity. Uh, aside from digitized information and what you can send, routinized information across the country in little standardized forms and bits, people still need to talk face-to-face -face in the business world, uh, as Saskia alluded to. And that requires business travel, uh, commercial travel, nonprofit travel, people talking. This world's busiest airport was something that we were very fortunate to hop on with the jet airport at O'Hare in the early 1960s. It moved customers into Chicago, it became a world business place, the largest convention center of the United States, 14 million visitors a year, a million of them international visitors, and it also sent the salesmen of Chicago out with their business services. Just a little anecdote. I learned from somebody I worked with, uh, Leo Burnett, one of the world's leading advertising agencies, uh, was regularly booking first-class flights on United Airlines in its heydays to Minneapolis. Whether They didn't know whether they were going to use the seats or not, but in case their customer beckoned one of their key clients, uh, uh, they wanted to be there for that. And that's just symbolic of bringing the people in and out and together of what 
you need to be for a city as large as Chicago if you want to stay on top of the hierarchy which Saskia talks about. Finally, I think uh, looking forward a little bit, what about Chicago in the future? We also see other changes here in Chicago taking place aside from those that spring from the legacy of its infrastructure. We see the great uh, baskets of flowers on the roadways over Lakeshore Drive. We see a Millennium Park. We see a beautified city. We see a gentrified neighborhood around the Loop Business District where 300,000 high-skilled people live. To be a global city of the future, you need to be a place where you can attract the most talented, the most global, the most connected people to start new businesses, to talk to other people, to transmit and transact the world's global business. And so it's not just frivolous that, you know, we're beautifying it. Uh, the city is, uh, its suburbs as well. It's not only that hard infrastructure, but uh, making Chicago a beautiful, attractive place to live and culture and so forth, as well as all the business opportunities, the educational opportunities to, uh, to learn more, to increase or change your, uh, your uh, uh, your profession and so forth throughout your life. You're an educational city as well. So let me kind of conclude here. Uh, my conclusion from the chapter was that Chicago rightly can proclaim itself as global and successful. But uh, a little bit of an update of as right now, what we have is a great big question mark in front of Chicago. It's been successful and I document that in the book. But employment here in the early 2000s, the first four or five years, is down uh, three, three and a half percent. The nation's not doing well either. It's down one and one and a half percent. But yeah, we haven't really seen this. Chicago uh, population almost kept pace with the nation during the 1990s. It had this wonderful renaissance in the late 1980s of business service industries. There's a lot of doubt in Chicago, not only because it's lost a few headquarters, but because its economy is a little weak. Uh, personally, I think that this might just be the Midwest coming out of the business cycle, the recession and aftermath. We really won't know for a while, but we have to look hard at it, see what's going on, and we have to recommit ourselves, I think, to looking at where Chicago lies as a global city, what's happening in the world, what trends, what technology, what infrastructure, uh, because we need to keep changing and building. So that's really the thesis of the chapter, and I hope you'll